Your identity is your sense of who you are. In a nutshell, your identity is everything that you identify with. And the things that we identify with generally fit either into an I am statement, like I'm a mother, a partner, a researcher, or there are things that you can say my or mine, like my pet, my parents. So your identity has a structure and it has a content. And the content is everything that you identify with, like your thoughts and your feelings and your beliefs and your memories and your social roles, like being a partner or a parent. And of course, your personal story, you know, that's like the story that we tell ourselves and others about who we are. Like when you first meet someone and you introduce yourself and you tell them about you, like that's your story. And then there's identity structure, which is literally the structure of your identity. So if your identity is everything that you identify with, the structure is its parts. And those parts can be helpful for understanding how your identity works. So one model for identity structure comes from William James, who thought that your identity is made up of the I and the me. The I is the thinker. It's the part of us that's thinking. And the me is all the things that we think about as belonging to us or being ours. So anything that you might say belongs to me or is mine, like my thoughts, my feelings, my beliefs, my memories, my social roles, like my partner or my parent and, and my story. And it also includes our physical body, like my arms or my legs and, and like our possessions, like my clothes or my bed. And again, so it's anything that you would say me or mine or belongs to me or like that it is mine. So what the I does as the thinker is think about and hold together all of those me's. It, like the I says, all of these me's, they all belong to the same I. And it's because the I does that, like that's how we have a sense of identity, like a sense of being a person. So then there's identity content. And I'm going to start with our social roles. So one of my favorite summaries that I've heard for what a social role is, is actually that your social roles are all the answers that you can come up with uh, to the question that the Cheshire Cat asks Alice in Alice in Wonderland. You remember that? The Cheshire Cat asks Alice, who are you? And so let's say, for example, that we ask Garnet Alice, who are you? And Garnet Alice says, we're a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting yoga instructor. So each one of those is a social role. So social roles or social identities, they're kind of like outfits. Like for example, the firefighter outfit. And we try on that outfit like to see how it fits, how it feels for us, like how well it fits our sense of who we are. And if we like the outfit, we keep it. And then when someone asks, who are you? We say, we're a firefighter. And then we wear that outfit until it doesn't fit right or doesn't feel right anymore. So yeah, our identity content includes social roles. And super simple one sentence summary for what your social roles are is that your social roles are all the answers that you can come up with to the Cheshire Cat's question to Alice, who are you? 
And in our example, Grown Up Alice identified like, oh, who are we? Well, we're a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting yoga instructor. And that means that all of those things are a part of Alice's identity. Like that all of those are a part of Alice's sense of self or what it means to Alice to be Alice. Another big part of our identity content are our beliefs. And we all have a lot of beliefs like everything from politics to religion to our morals. And if it's not clear how beliefs are a part of someone's identity, like just challenge what someone believes and it becomes clear. Like folks will generally respond as if you had challenged them directly. Like sometimes they'll even be aggressive or seem ready for a fight. And that's because our beliefs are a part of our identity. Like they are a part of our sense of who we are. We also have beliefs about people and our beliefs about people basically determine the nature of the relationship. And that's most obvious in our social roles. So imagine that you go shopping for a new outfit, like a pair of pants, right? And you head into the store. And so you're in one social role and the sales clerk is in another role. And so you and the sales clerk interact in a way that's determined based on the social roles that each of you are fulfilling. Like, so the sales clerk has the social role of being the sales clerk and you have the social role of being a shopper. And each of you have expectations or beliefs for what that role looks like, your role and the other person's role. And so here's the tricky part is that none of y'all ever actually engage. Like y'all just engage with your beliefs about the role y'all are playing. You engage with your beliefs about your role and their role. And they engage with their beliefs about their role and your role. Like, we don't ever engage with the actual person. Like Even when we ask the other person how they are or we share some light chit chat, all of that is still our roles engaging. And the rules for engagement are determined by our beliefs. And some folks don't engage in those greetings or chit chat at all, right? Because that's not a part of their beliefs about the shopper and the sales clerk role. And then for other folks, it's really important. And the better sales clerks are the ones that are just able to sort of uh, shift seamlessly between different shoppers, right? Having chit chat with one and here are your jeans with another. So at first glance, it might seem less obvious how our beliefs determine our identity in more intimate social roles, like with family. But one example with family is where you find yourself being triggered due to something that the other person is saying or doing. And that's because being triggered is like entering a mini social role or like a social role within a social role. Because when you're triggered in that moment, you're not being you, right? You're not interacting with the other and you're not interacting with the other person. Like your mini role is interacting with their mini role. Like in other words, who you are when you're triggered is interacting with who they are when they're triggered. Like it's not you interacting with them. It's your mini social role interacting with their mini social role. And just like we had expectations about sales clerks and their roles, we also have expectations about family and friends and who they're going to be, like based on the role that they're filling. 
And sometimes, especially if we're under stress, then we're going to be less likely to be considering the person who also happens to fulfill the role. And we'll be more likely to be focused on the role itself and our expectations for that role at that given moment. But of all the beliefs that we have, it's how we think about ourselves that determines our relationship with everything else. For example, if we believe that we are good enough or worthy of good things, then when good things appear, we recognize them as being good things. And because we believe that we're good enough and worthy of good things, we're able to enjoy those good things. But if we believe that we're not good enough or not worthy, then even when good things fall in our lap, we either don't recognize them as being good things, or if we do recognize them as being good things, then because we think we're not good enough for those good things, we're already sort of just waiting for them to go away because that's what we expect is going to happen because we don't deserve that good thing. And either way, whether we don't recognize it as a good thing or we're just waiting for it to go away, we wind up sabotaging the situation. And worst case is sometimes we'll even intentionally sabotage the situation, like to make a good thing go away. And so what all that means is that if we want to change our relationship with anything, we have to change our beliefs about that thing, and we have to change our beliefs about ourselves. And it's a lot harder to change our beliefs about ourselves than our beliefs about a thing. So how do we do that? How do we change our beliefs about ourselves? Like another way to think about this question is, how do we develop flexibility in our identity? If we really want to tackle a belief, especially a core belief, something like I'm not worthy, the best way to do that is by working with our stories. So of all the things that we identify with, one of the biggest are our stories. And our stories are just that, like meaning that the, sto the stories that we tell ourselves and others about who we are. So when you first meet someone and you get to know them and you tell them about who you are, that's your story. So going back to the Cheshire Cats uh, question to Alice and Alice in Wonderland, who are you? And we said, just for example, grown-up Alice might say to the Cheshire Cat, we're a partnered mother researcher, part-time firefighting yoga instructor. So each one of those can be an I am statement. I am a mother, a research, I'm a researcher, I'm a part-time firefighting yoga instructor. And each one of those is a social role or a social identity. And if Alice were to add some personal history to that, like, so we're from the English countryside, but now I now we live in London and we're a partnered mother, researcher, firefighting yoga instructor. Like that's basically a rough draft of Alice's personal story. And the rest of Alice's identity or their personal story is made up of all the other things that we identify with, like all of our beliefs and our memories and our thoughts and our feelings. And the story is what holds them all together. So the story is like a container for all those parts of our identity, like for all of our identity content. And it does that not just for communicating to others about who we are, but it does that for communicating to ourselves who we are. So if you've ever been through any kind of major life transition, like a marriage or a divorce, or even just searching for a new job, then you've worked on your story. Like, so for example, let's say you're applying to be a checkout clerk. And if you're applying to be a checkout clerk, then you have to speak to your relevant experience. 
And so that means you're putting together your relevant experiences based on your story. And so you're revising your story and you're drafting a story of your personal relevant experience. And we do the same kind of review and revision of our personal story when we're dating or the revisions that we need to do to our story after we get married or a relationship ends. So sometimes it's really obvious that we need to revise our story because there's some major life event, but you don't have to wait for a major life event to revise your story. In fact, you wanna revise your story anytime that revising your story will help you to live your best life. So just like you wouldn't go on a job interview and talk about how you messed up in previous jobs, and you wouldn't do that because you wanna present yourself in a positive light. And so you refine your story to serve you. And when it comes to refining our story, we wanna do that for how we present ourselves to others, but we also wanna do that for how we present ourselves to ourselves, for how we think about ourselves. And we wanna do that because if we don't, then we can walk around all day long with these ideas, something like, I'm not good enough. And if you walk around all day long thinking that you're not good enough, then you're gonna have this mindset of, I'm not good enough. And that's the story that you tell yourself. And that story holds together all of your thoughts and feelings and your memories and your beliefs. So if you believe that you're good enough, then when you're searching your memories, you're gonna pull memories of you being good enough. And you're gonna pull thoughts and feelings that support the idea that you're good enough. Thoughts like, you're capable or I've got this. And the feelings that go along with thinking, I've got this. But if you think that you're not good enough, then you're going to pull memories of you not being good enough and thoughts and feelings that support that. And that's how powerful the idea is that how we think about ourselves determines our relationship with everything else. And so when we want something, like to experience more good things in life, we have to change how we think about ourselves and we have to change how we think about good things. And the best way to do that is by developing flexibility in our identity. And the best way to develop flexibility in our identity is by working with our stories. And we work with our stories because ultimately our story holds together all of our beliefs and our thoughts and our feelings and our social roles, everything that we identify with, all the parts of our identity, everything streams together into the story. And so to help with developing flexibility in y'all's identity, I created a full length exercise and there's a link below. And that exercise is designed to bring you all the way to enlightenment, which means it's also designed to maximize your identity flexibility. So when you're ready, you definitely wanna check it out. But so that you can try it out, I made just a super quick summary version of the full exercise. And so what we do in this exercise is play around with giving up really important parts of our story because that develops flexibility in our identity. And so we pick one of your most important social roles or social identities, for example, being a mom or being a partner. And we imagine that you're no longer a mom, that you're no longer a partner. 
And we do this because if you can be even remotely comfortable just playing around with the idea that you're no longer a mom, that shows that you're willing to shift your story, which is real flexibility in your identity. And that's the goal. It's just an exercise. It's uncomfortable. And we do it exactly because no one wants to think about the loss of someone that matters to them or of one of their important social roles. No one. It's uncomfortable, but it's just an exercise and it works. And nothing about your relationship with this person in actual life will be negatively impacted in any way because of this exercise. You may even find yourself experiencing greater appreciation for them and more freely expressing your love. So when you're ready, grab a pen and paper or your phone or just something to jot a couple of words or notes down with. So go ahead and press pause now and go grab something to take some notes with. Okay, so I want you to pick the most important person in your life. The nature of the relationship doesn't matter. Just if I say, who is the most important person in your life? Who comes to mind? Like, use them. Now, I've had questions from some folks who weren't sure who they should pick. Like, for example, one person reached out saying that they thought they should pick one person as the most important person because of social pressure, but that someone else was actually the most important person that that was the relationship that they enjoyed the most and that came to mind. And so I told them that the second person was definitely the relationship that they wanted to use. It might also be the case that you have a tie. And if so, that's okay. Like just flip a coin. Okay, so you're gonna press pause and take a moment now to pick your most important relationship. And once you've selected it, I'll write it down. Okay, press pause now and do that. Okay, so now that you've picked the most important person, the most important relationship in your life, we're going to find a memory for that person. So I'll use Alice as an example. So Alice identified one of their important relationships or one of their most important social roles as being a mom. And Alice has a 12-year-old who identifies female. And Alice has a favorite memory of their daughter from many years ago. And it was just Alice's daughter and Alice on a particular day having the time of their lives outside after the rain. And there was a rainbow and they all had muck boots on and they decided to make mud pies. And there was this one moment where Alice's daughter looked over her shoulder at her mother and Alice will never forget the smile on their daughter's face. And so if Alice really wanted to remember a core memory of Alice's daughter, that's the memory that Alice would bring to mind. So now it's y'all's turn. So we're going to find a memory for your most important relationship. And it can be a current or a distant memory. And it can be a big deal memory, like a special event or like Alice's. But it can also just be whatever comes to mind, like what y'all see most often with them, like sharing time in the kitchen or on the couch. And then once you have that memory, pick two or three words that describe that memory to help bring that memory to mind. So for example, Alice would pick rainy day to remember their day. 
Okay, so let's pause now and find a memory for the most important relationship that y'all picked. And when you find that memory, pick two or three words to use for describing and recalling it, and then write those words down. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so now that y'all have found a memory and picked two to three words for recalling that memory, next we're gonna practice visualizing the memory. And we'll use the two to three word prompt to bring up the memory. So for example, Alice's prompt was rainy day to bring to mind playing with the mud with their daughter. So Alice would say rainy day to bring up that memory. And then Alice would visualize that memory, thinking about making mud pies with their daughter. And Alice would really focus on that one moment where their daughter looked over her shoulder at her mother and the smile on their daughter's face and the joy that Alice felt. So first we'll all do this together and then y'all will do it again on y'all's own. So take a minute now with me to just sit with that memory. So right now, take a look at the two to three word memory prompt for your most important relationship that y'all picked. And so in your mind right now, go back to that day. Where were y'all? And where were y'all sitting? Or how were y'all standing? And what were y'all wearing? And what was happening? And how did y'all feel? And now I want you to take a moment to practice again on your own. So if there were any parts that you weren't sure about, if it was a long time ago, or if it's just a generalized memory, it doesn't really matter. All that matters is that you can come up with enough detail to make it real, to really picture the memory, like a movie or like a photograph but you're in it. And for more generalized memories, you could use someone's PJs or their favorite t-shirt. And you can try and, you wanna try and like feel your spot on the couch underneath you. And the specifics of the details don't matter as much as having enough detail to make it feel real. Okay, so take a moment to practice again now on your own. Okay, so now that y'all have practiced using prompts to recall and really visualize your mem that memory, next we're going to practice letting go of the memory. And not just letting go of the memory, but letting go of the part of us who is that relationship. So for example, Alice would bring up the wonderful memory that they have of making mud pies with their daughter and the smile on their daughter's face and the joy that Alice felt in their heart. And Alice would embrace that memory for just a moment, would let it just wash over. And then Alice will let it, would let it go. 
as if Alice had just awoken from a lovely dream. And Alice would then say, I am no longer a mother. And then Alice would feel that loss. And Alice would grieve the loss of their social identity as a mother, because being a mother meant the world to Alice. And so to grieve here means to like literally feel the loss, like to feel the aching in your chest and the emptiness in the pit of your stomach. If you get stuck, it can be helpful to bring to mind someone knocking on the door or a phone call, letting y'all know that these folks, that this person, that they're not coming back, that you're not going to see them again. And just to sit with that and to wrestle with that, like the feelings that that brings up. And just as a reminder, the goal of this exercise is to develop flexibility in your identity. And we use your personal story to do that. And we use your personal story because folks are so wedded to their story that they will fight tooth and nail to hold on to their story exactly as it is. We will hold on to stories that are way outdated and that no longer serve us. And so we start with a part of the story that's really important and that still does serve us because if you can be comfortable playing around with giving up a really important part of your story, that's the best way to develop flexibility in your identity. It's just an exercise. It's uncomfortable, but it works. And nothing about your relationship with this person in actual life will be negatively impacted in any way because of this exercise. Like you may even find yourself experiencing greater appreciation for them and more freely expressing your love. So if your mind fights you and says, I don't want to do this, just say, I know, I know, it's okay. It's just an exercise. So first we'll do this together and then y'all will do it again on y'all's own. So first take a minute now with me to just sit with that memory. Okay, so right now, take a look at the two to three word memory prompt for your most important relationship that y'all picked. So in your mind, go back to that day. So where were y'all? And where were y'all sitting or how were y'all standing? And what were y'all wearing? And what was happening? And how did y'all feel? And now say, I am or we are no longer a mother, a daughter, a sister or whatever that significant relationship was. What thoughts come to mind? How does that statement make you feel?
So I want you to take a moment now to practice again on your own and then to take a moment to jot down your thoughts and your feelings and any reactions that you have either to the exercise or to your own thoughts and feelings. Okay, so go ahead and press pause now and take a moment to practice again on your own and then take two minutes to reflect and record your thoughts and feelings and reactions. Okay, that is a super quick version of the extended exercise for developing identity flexibility. When you're ready, I would recommend doing the extended version of the exercise. It's okay to take it one day at a time and just do a section a day. Just be sure to record your thoughts and feelings and reactions. It's a super simple exercise, but it's very deep and very powerful and it won't negatively impact you. But if you put the work in, you will see big results. I would recommend committing to it on a daily basis for even just a few minutes at a time. So today we went through an exercise for creating flexibility in your identity. And we used your personal story to do that. And we use our personal story because folks are so wedded to their story that they will fight tooth and nail to hold on to their story exactly as it is. Folks will hold on to stories that are way outdated and that no longer serve them. And so we start with a part of the story that's really important and that still does serve you. Because if you can be comfortable playing around with giving up a really important part of your story, that's the best way to develop flexibility in your identity. It's uncomfortable, but it's just an exercise. And nothing about your relationship with this person in actual life will be negatively impacted in any way. And it works. Okay, that was what I had to share today. If you enjoyed this, please hit like. It makes it easier for others to find it and leave a comment. And if you give the exercise a whirl, I would be so very grateful for any feedback. You can leave any feedback in the comments below or you can email me at kate at katetbenson.com. If y'all are curious about me, you can learn more and sign up for my newsletter at kate-t-benson.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Kate T. Benson and subscribe on YouTube. Thank you so much for your time. I see you. I appreciate you. Until next time. Namaste.